On today's episode, I am joined by top psychologist, Dr. John Gartner. Dr. Gartner was an assistant professor at John Hopkins University for over 20 years. And most recently, Dr. Gartner appears in the documentary called Hashtag Untruth that explores how we as a society have been drowned in misinformation and the psychological effects that misinformation has on our population. We dive into the evolutionary reasons as to why individuals are drawn into authoritarian movements. And even our great ancestors, the chimpanzees, shared quite a lot of similarities with those who were brainwashed in 1930s Nazi Germany. Guys, I did a lot more listening than I did talking on this episode because I learned a lot. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. John Gartner, and this is Uncovering the Truth. John, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, let's just get right into it. This has been something that's on my mind because I I recently got into an argument with somebody about Adolf Hitler. This was in my Mm. class on fascism. And she said that it didn't matter if Adolf Hitler came to power or not because the anti-Semitism was already dormant. Mm. Anybody could have done what he did and it would have ended in the same result. And I said, I said, that's preposterous. Only Hitler had whatever it took. To, to, to rile them up. So I just wanted to, to throw that to you. What, what is it about authoritarian figures like Hitler that makes him stand out from versus someone like me just saying whatever Hitler said and, and it not working, right? These, um, these demagogues are very charismatic and they're able to arouse a great deal of emotion and also to control it. Uh, so they're able to... Um, you know, I think actually this goes back to some very primitive programming. If you don't mind, I'm just going to jump back a few million years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it, if you observe chimpanzees, um, you know, Jane Goodall spent so much time with the chimpanzees and we got these wonderful footage of them being so human and compassionate and loving and connecting with Jane Goodall. They share 98% of our DNA. And we used to think that humans were the only animal that committed murder. But what happened is after Jane Goodall got a little older, that colony grew so big that they split into two colonies. So everything Jane Goodall observed was within group behavior. So, you know, the males would compete for dominance. They beat their chest and they throw dirt up in the air and hurl heavy boulders into the river to try to show their virility. Right. And it was a competition, but they call it display behavior because no one actually gets hurt in these displays of male um, virility, mm-hmm. okay, for competing for dominance. But once the group split in half, one charismatic sort of dominant male starts whipping the other males into a frenzy, really literally slapping them and getting them excited. And then he leads them single file to the next uh, group, troop, and they systematically murder the males of the other troop one at a time. And these are these kind little animals who are actually very frightened, easily frightened. They're not very aggressive, except in this context, Mm -hmm. okay? And so what happens is they absorb that uh, troop's uh, territory and their females. And so the group that had the charismatic leader that led them in battle in an aggressive conquering battle against this other innocent troop is the one whose DNA went on. Wow. Wow. So you're so so essentially, though, the some of the the alpha males, right? These are the alpha males that have the the charisma and some of them even I know commit infanticide 
which is mm-hmm. unobject- objectively evil, but maybe they have their reasons for it. But so you're suggesting that our gene pool is perhaps split off into what I guess you could call good versus evil. And both of them are, are equally as successful in surviving and, and carrying on. the Well, well, in a way, actually, I'm saying the evil is more successful because which troop got to pass their DNA on the one that had an aggressive uh, conqueror who mobilized them to attack the other uh, village. And if you look at human history, there's never been a time without war. Okay. And so what actually has happened over time is we've started to collect into larger and larger groups. So if you read that book, Sapiens, you know, for thousands of years, we just lived in little like groups of like 20 people around a fire, you know, and we did that for like a million years. (laughs) And then all of a sudden there was some kind of cognitive revolution. We don't know how it happened. You know, some people even think it might've been psychedelics uh, that sort of expanded people's consciousness, the stone date theory, which is starting (laughs) to seem more and more plausible to me as I do more research in this area. Um, but then they could think in larger concepts. So it wasn't just our little group of 20 people around the fire. It's the valley people. We're the valley people. Now they can think more abstractly against the mountain people. And so there came to be a capacity to see themselves conceptually in larger and larger groups. Uh, and those groups would, but those groups would still have these competitions, these wars, these fights for, for dominance. But th- because they were able to work collectively as larger groups, they, that was one theory as to how they actually sort of displaced uh, the Neanderthal. The Neanderthal didn't have that kind of organization, but if you can mobilize, you know, a hundred or a thousand people, right, you know, to defend one position, then you're going to overrun this more, you know, primitive enemy. Um, and, and so, in a way, it's in us, it's in our human nature. But these demagogues are able to tap it in a destructive way, and what they're able to do is actually to tear apart a society that has become more cohesive. They really, it, they, it's devolution. They, when they break apart, let's say, Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. when Milosevic takes a Yugoslavia and turns it into Serbs versus Croats, well, Serbs and Croats have been living peacefully in Yugoslavia for a long time. But right. he's able to, but there's a stress fracture there, right? There's still differences. What he's able to do is say, no, we're not one country, okay? They're the enemy and they're trying to destroy our country. So now, what was within group behavior, we're all Yugoslavians, now becomes between group behavior. They're the other troop and they're gonna come and kill us unless you give me power to kill them first, okay? Mm-hmm. So you arouse that fundamental simian uh, protection, uh, uh, survival mechanism, which is, and that's why they're able to forgive Donald Trump, I believe, all of his sins. It's not that they don't know he's a liar. It's not that they don't know he's a, 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 a bad person. I think they actually know he's a bad person. But the point is, is that if you can put someone in the mental condition where they feel like their survival is threatened and either you get behind the big guy, right? And we fight it out or they're gonna wipe us out. Suddenly that forgives a multitude of sins, okay? And that's what they're able to mobilize. This is my theory. That's what they're able to mobilize in terms of human psychology. Wow, well, that that is the most. So then based off of that, is this, Indoor, is this dormant in all, like all of us? Perhaps like could someone like you or someone like me be drawn to another authoritarian figure, maybe who's smarter and more sophisticated than Donald Trump, who taps into a different, but it would have to be pitting us against some other, the other, right? That's a common element. Right, exactly. There so, has to be an other. There has to be an other. And what the demagogues do is the other isn't 
the Russians. It's it's your neighbor. It's the Jews. It's the guy across the street. Okay. Suddenly, the other is someone who used to be part of us, but now psychologically, but there might be some prejudice. Like, yeah, they're part of us, but not part of us. Or you know, they're part of us, but we don't really like them. You know, <laughs> I don't really want my daughter to marry one, but they're okay. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, yes. And Semi- now it's more like no. They're going to kill us if we don't get behind the big guy. You know, that's what he's able to mobilize. And so this whole sense of paranoia, right? The malignant narcissist. So in Unfit, you know, we diagnosed yeah. Trump as being a malignant narcissist. And that, for the people who didn't watch the film, that's a combination of these four personality traits. It's a combination that was discovered by Eric Fromm, who escaped the Nazis in his attempt to understand the personality type of a Hitler or a Mussolini. And he's the one that developed this term malignant narcissism. And it has these four components, narcissism, obviously, to be sure, but also paranoia, the feeling that he's under attack, right, by all kinds of bad people, bad bad minority groups, immigrants, uh, rhinos, right? Suddenly we're under attack by all these bad people and so he has to elicit that paranoid or or augment or ver- or or um, uh, verify that paranoia in the subjects because the paranoia is part of it. You have to be under threat, okay, to basically get go, go along with the demagogue. And so that's part of what he's able to create. The third component is antisocial personality disorder. In other words, he's a psychopath. So he lies, he cheats, he steals, he has no remorse, he has no guilt. Um, so these are people are monsters. So they're, they, they have absolutely no moral code. And the fourth component is sadism. It's a very important component. It's not just they want to win. They want to hurt people. They want to crush them. They want to destroy them. They want to humiliate them. You know how Donald Trump is so obsessed with you know, getting back at his enemies um, and sort of, you know, enjoying their suffering. I, I, I had the misfortune of actually editing a book about his tweets. This was like four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to read thousands of his tweets. It's just the number of tweets that were just hatred and, and humiliation. And, you know, it's like, how could somebody spend 20 times a day, you know, just talking about how much they want to humiliate other people? You know, it's driven. I also think he's kind of manic, hypomanic, actually. So all of these negative personality traits are, are then heightened through the hypomanic energy. But the point is, is with that hypomanic energy, he's also activating something in the followers. Yes. So because you, you, I've seen you've referred to them as sleeper cells, correct? Mm-hmm. That, that only a demagogue can activate like him. So is he activating these sorts of psychological disorders within his followers? Yes. And, 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 and I guess that it worked. I just don't understand to me how, yeah, because why are they drawn to a malignant narcissist, sadist, and yet we saw it manifest on January 6th? sadistic people, they were maniacally laughing as they were plowing through the doors and they planned on executing members of, these are, these are ordinary citizens who probably some of them just worked at supermarkets the year before and now they're involved yeah. in a terrorist attack. So that's a psychological like takeover that he's done on these people. Yes, it is. And you know, when I interviewed one of the scientists who, who, who observed the chimpanzees, uh, he said, you know, you have to understand chimpanzees are very timid animals. He goes, they're really chickens. You know what I mean? They're not brave or aggressive animals by any means. <laughs> but when they're in one of these killing frenzies, they're like, they're, they feel invulnerable. 
you know, you can scream at them or threaten them and they're just totally in the zone. Mm -hmm. And so I think that this is what that charismatic leader is able to do. He's able to, look, imagine a situation, imagine some, we're in some kind of, you know, zombie apocalypse, right? Okay. And so you and I are like, you know, now we're just trying to survive, like, you know, the walking dead, right? Mm -hmm. And some leader emerges, right? Some, you know, um, powerful alpha male who's like a bully and he's sort of just taking over. Maybe he killed the guy who was ahead of him before and now he's just taking over. And, you know, but there's another troop, right? There's another group that, of psychopaths that want to kill us and eat us or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so this guy's a complete schmuck, okay? But he's telling us that he's going to protect us from those other bad people, okay? <laughs> At that point, it's like, look, who cares if he's a jerk, right? I mean, yeah, let's win. use him. Let's use him. <laughs> Yeah, we want them on our team, right? But but are so these people are these Trump supporters, they are getting something from Donald Trump. Like that it would be foolish for me to say, you know, he's just suckering them, he's he, he's conning them, which he is financially speaking, but and and he's not passing any policies that really are are favorable for them, but he's he's offering them some emotional, psychological, filling some void that someone like Joe Biden or some normal politician cannot yeah. fill. And I, I guess that that just ties into my, you know, my next sort of question is, like you said about his tweets, mm -hmm. how could he spend so much time lying? Well, he's still doing it on Truth Social every day. And one of the reasons I liked your unfit documentary is because you guys did not, you made the warning, do not underestimate him. He, don't call him stupid. He is not a circus clown. He's not a buffoon. This is a very intentional demagogue who is mobilizing his supporters to overthrow essentially and, and it was proven true to overthrow and end american democracy so he's doing it again and they're still very drawn to him so yeah i'm just gonna how does this resolve either does it resolve in quote civil war does it resolve in when donald trump perhaps dies of an illness down the line or result in prison or suicide I and mean, how does this end yeah and well, yeah, it's a giant but, question. Well, I, nobody knows the answer. to. <laughs> well, I, I think there is an answer to how it ends, which is we have to win. You know, think about World War Two. Right. Yep. We had to have unconditional surrender before we could have the Marshall Plan. You know, same thing with the Civil War. Right. There had to be apotomics for there to be healing. Uh, we must crush them. I, I mean, I'm serious. We must crush them, crush them at the ballot box crush them in the courts. They need to be, you know, hauled off in leg irons, yeah. right? They need to be shamed. They need to be um, held up as an example of unpatriotic criminality. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, it, it has to be a kind of Nuremberg, you yes. know, uh, sort of purge or a you know, truth and reconciliation committee purge. Society has to face everything that was destructive and evil and corrupt about this, and there have to be consequences. So we really have to win, and we have to win big, and we have to win hard. We have to crush this rebellion, uh, and there's no other way. Uh, this is a cage match. You know, two enter, one leaves. That's it. Yeah, so so basically it's a zero-sum game at this point. There's just no – and will the – Basically, will a moment of arrest, let's say there's prosecutions for some of these politicians, you know, as a psychologist, I've always thought, it, does it take some sort of near-death experience or some traumatic event to perhaps pull some of these people out? They're not going to become Democrats after they'll, you know, they'll maybe withdraw from politics. But is there some sort of event like that? Will that trigger perhaps any psychological effect within the Trump supporters? Mm -hmm. 
Well, look, I mean, after World War II, the Germans went back to being nice people, you know? I mean, <laughs> I, I, or regular people, you know? And now I think they're probably among the most, they're the ones that are leading the world in democracy, them and the French, you know? Mm-hmm. So the thing is, is that when the fever breaks, right? When the, when the, when the demagogue leader is, you know, disgraced or killed or replaced or, you know, um, uh, uh, shamed or, you know, but basically extruded from the body politic, Okay, then the, these other people calm down. <laughs> they yeah. calm down and they sort of have to now kind of integrate into the new society. So it doesn't matter. You know, you take off your Nazi uniform and that's it. You go back to fixing cars and, and, <laughs> and being a regular person. Yeah. <laughs> or at least a racist in private as opposed to. Okay, they, well, you know, fine. You know, that's where it's meant to be kept in private. We don't need yeah. it in public. <laughs> right. Because I, I'll tell you something else that, I, that I've, I've noticed. And it's just I'm just so fascinated by their psychology, I guess, of of these sort of, I guess, would you call them brainwashed people that they feel they yes. feel um, yeah, okay, it's fair to call them. They feel immune to the rule of law as well. Like now mm-hmm. I've noticed I've noticed, you know, terrorist groups, neo-Nazis, Confederates are making regular appearances in public when th- these used to be like clandestine groups, right? They this they used right. to be, a, right. be cognitively aware that. That we have to remain hidden, but now they, they feel yeah. emboldened by, by this authoritarian figure. Mm-hmm. So, I, I just well, part I, of what they're identifying with is his narcissism, you know. So they're also feeling entitled now to be dominant and aggressive. You know, uh, another thing that came out of World War II was this study of what they called the authoritarian personality. They, you know, uh, this they asked the question: Who became a Nazi? You know, who became an enthusiastic Nazi? Was there a personality type? And uh, there was actually. And it has a lot of these qualities of the malignant narcissists that we've been talking about in the people who are enthusiastic um, uh, Nazis. But also there is a certain feeling of entitlement to hurt and be aggressive towards people who don't conform to the norms of society. Um, And also a kind of racial entitlement, you know, to be superior, to be dominant. Okay. And I think that has run through the white race uh, quite a bit, right? As we see, you know, I mean, whether it's the Spanish landing in, you know, uh, South America and, you know, enslaving all the Indians. Mm -hmm. I I mean, every time uh, the white men land, they feel entitled to rule. Okay. And so now that entitlement is being challenged and it feels existential. I think that is definitely a part of it that the white male has been has had has been dominant now for centuries okay and that is that dominance is being threatened and so all these people share that feeling that that dominance is being threatened but they're entitled to enforce it mm-hmm. I think and, that's a very important component wow and so so they if they feel entitled does it matter if the perceived if it's a real threat or a perceived threat for instance I know they're the new talking point amongst Fox News, and I, I monitor the far right networks closely because I, I'm interested in their what's, yeah, yeah. what's driving them, right? And so the well, new thank you for doing that for the rest of us. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm doing God's work here. <laughs> you are <laughs> in hell. <laughs> in hell, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so holding on to my sanity, by the way. <laughs> they're, they're, the new the new talking point though is that birth rates amongst white, white birth rates are on the decline and that, yeah. that the white race is going to become the minority. Yeah. I want to say in 2050 in America, yeah. which 
again, the, these are, I mean, these are giant conspiracies and that, you know, the, the uh, great replacement theory that they're going to yeah. replace the white electorate with third world voters. Yeah. Well, globalist liberals. Right. So that's right. another anti-Semitic conspiracy. Is yeah. that enough? Is that enough? All that is that perceived. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think the demographic uh, cliff is enough. Actually, I think ultimately that is actually the the real underlying precipitant. There was a great article in the Atlantic, and I wish I could remember who wrote it. But his point was, when you look at the demo, the, the Republicans had a chance to become a big tent party, right? They 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 had did that autopsy after McCain lost, and they said, look, we've got to appeal more to minorities, blah blah blah. But they went the other way, right? Instead, yeah. they doubled down on being the white identity politics, white power, the white power party, right? right? Yeah. And the thing is, is that what they realized is they did the math. They did the same math that you're doing and realizing by 2050 or whatever the year is, we're going to be in the minority. And so if we're going to be in the minority in a democracy, we're going to lose power. So we have two choices. Uh, Either we can accept losing power because we're now going to be a racial minority or we can destroy democracy and take power. That's why it's essential for them to destroy democracy and to destroy democracy now. Okay, while they still have some dominance, right? Because otherwise they will be in the minority and lose that dominance to which they feel entitled and to which they feel is an existential threat. Forever. And so and so so they are in a constant state of revolution, sort of as they yeah. the leaders like to keep them in that state of revolution. Right. Now right. now with that logic in mind, then would you say that? Because I'm of the belief, this is my personal political opinion, that Donald Trump is the only person who can who can rile these people up. I don't I see Ron DeSantis as a Mm. just doesn't have it for me. They don't care about him. They'll vote for him, maybe. But Donald Trump, the only man with with this charismatic authority, I think, as you put it, uh, that can can do this, which so I'm just would you agree with that statement or or, or is well, any he, politicians are able to embody him now and it'll work? Like, well, well I, I, I agree and I don't agree. I, I agree partially. I do agree that he's a sort of unique in his charisma. I mean, not that there's not aren't charismatic leaders, but these Trump lights that are trying to be Trump wannabes don't have the charisma. So it, it, it falls kind of flat and sort of pathetic. Um, that said, this gets back to your question about are these people brainwashed and all the good work that you're doing in terms of following right-wing media. One of the themes of untruth, that really is, I think, one of the main themes, or maybe the main theme, is brainwashing. That what the Republicans now have done in, in, in collaboration, in collusion with the Russians, <laughs> yeah. is develop propaganda techniques that work. So that now, between Fox News and Facebook and micro-targeting on other kinds of social media, there is absolutely nothing they cannot make their followers believe. I wanna say that again. I think there is absolutely nothing that they cannot make their followers. If you wanna say Mike Pence is actually a robot from Venezuela you know, that came from Hunter Biden's lap, just say it enough times on Fox News and it'll start showing up on Twitter and people will start validating it. And, you know, then uh, Republican politicians will start saying it. And then, uh, you know, and then after a while, the, you know, if, you know, if you just hear something 20 times, you begin to think it's true. You know, the, the principles of brainwashing are really so simple. Um, 
I, my mom used to work in advertising. So my first job when I was a kid in college was something where in market research, I was a coder. So we would read these questionnaires, right? And they would ask someone. I remember this one in particular, but it's so significant. They gave them Tropicana orange juice. They said, so tell me, how does it taste? This is an open-ended question, not check a box. Just they could say anything they wanted. Well, you know what the most frequent comment was? Hmm. It tastes like fresh squeezed. Now look. <laughs> <laughs> There's simply no way, okay? The propaganda orange juice tastes anything like fresh squeezed, right? It just doesn't. No, but that no. was there. It just doesn't, right? I mean, come on. I mean, what are you going to believe? Their advertising campaign or your lying tongue? Well, apparently the answer is the advertising campaign because that was propaganda. You know, when I was a kid, you couldn't flip through the advertisements, okay? There mm -hmm. was no, we didn't have remote controls. We didn't have VCRs, okay? You had, we had. Yeah three channels in black and white, and you watch the damn ads, okay? So you heard hundreds and hundreds of times, Tropicana tastes more like fresh squeezed. Tropicana tastes more. So yeah. you just hear them say it, over and, and over. after a while, you believe it. Well, it's like the ASH experiment, which we talked about in Untrue, in Unfit. Famous, famous experiment, also inspired by World War II, by the way. The I'll, I'll, I'll repeat what it is for the yeah, audience. Please, please, uh, I think we'd yeah. love to hear that. So the ASH experiment is really one of the more brilliant experiments in psychology. One of the things that they asked after World War II is exactly the question you're asking. How could you convince all these people to believe something so crazy, right? How does that happen? These people were, you know, civilized, cultured, educated, you know, they weren't crazy, you know. And the, the answer is that um, the social pressure really shapes our perception of even the most basic forms of reality. What they did was they had people come into a room at the basement at Yale University, right? And showed them three lines. Two lines were identical in size and one was obviously larger. And they said, which one is larger than the others? And the subjects get it right 100% of the time. No one ever gets it wrong, okay? Now they redo the experiment. There's two people that the student thinks are other students. Right. But actually, they work for the experimenter. And so they go, so which line is longer? And the other two, go, oh, well, it's the, this one over here, obviously. And the guy kind of looks like around like, really? You know, <laughs> they picked the smaller one, right? They picked right. on purpose. They picked the smaller one, right, on purpose. And something like 30% of the people change their answer. Wow. So it, it's all about the herd mentality, the group mob mentality yeah. is kind of tied into that. Absolutely. So herd stupidity or, <laughs> instead of herd immunity. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that, so that's what the Republican Party has mastered to a T. Right. To uh, a T. To a T. Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, election fraud, election right. fraud, election right. fraud. Exactly. And the exactly. And, and will could it then then this is what I sort of embodied or tried to, I guess, translate. I was like, I wish the Democrats would start repeating the the their accomplishments yep. or the truth over and over, would that have the same effect? Or is there something about- Yes, yes. Have no, well, it, 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 you know, like, like, like many uh, Democrats, you know, I despair over the democratic incompetence <laughs> <laughs> politically, the, the, the political malpractice. You know, all you had to do was say a hundred times a day, the Republicans are Russians. The Republicans are Russians. The Republicans are Russians. Yes. Just, uh, just keep saying it, saying it, saying it, until you just beat people over the head with it, till you just beat their brains out with it. <laughs> you, they should. Uh, but unfortunately, the, the Fox News is, now I hear Fox News is willing to cross lines, moral, mm -hmm. ethic lines that the other right. news networks aren't. But, at the, right. but that emboldens the authoritarian movement. Yes, it does. So, and you can't, 
You can't get these people off. I just saw a truck the other day. Literally, I mean, I'm in Santa Monica and there was a giant white pickup truck on the back. It said, I despise the fake liberal media. Like, wow, th- this is an epidemic that is sure. There's, there's no going back from from any of this. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it comes down to the, the repetition of the yeah. lie. And that's uh, that's eight. So, so if, if they could. Right. Exactly. So if they can repeat the lie, you know, uh, tastes like fresh squeezed. This line is longer and the, the election was stolen. People go, OK, 30 yeah. percent of people just go along with it. It works. And I, you're right. I don't understand why the Democrats aren't equally um, uh, monotonous about pounding forth the truth. If yeah. they can repeat lies over and over and over again till people believe them, why can't we repeat the truth over and over and over again till people <laughs> believe it? I just don't get it. I, I don't get it either. But that, that's what I love about, uh, you know, so that's sort of the this is the subject of the new film you're appearing in called Untruth. It's exactly it, yeah. Could you talk just to 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 some of you know what your involvement with that film is, and perhaps some of the themes that we're going to explore throughout that, and, and maybe why it's so important for people to watch it? Because the last one had a major impact on the election, and so here we are again. We need to hear more about this. Well, I'm not sure how big an impact it'll have because obviously the people who need to see it the most are the ones who are in the, you know, sun, moon, moon concentration, you know, <laughs> cult camp. <laughs> but I think actually what's really important is we're letting our pockets get picked, okay, by not attending to these um, uh, uh, these methods that they're using for propaganda. Let me give you an example, okay, something that I made a huge, huge um, mission about was trying to stop Elon Musk from buying Twitter. I mean, I practically hurled myself in front of a, you know, a train and, you know, uh, uh, um, <laughs> you know, handcuffed myself to <laughs> to the to the Twitter to the Twitter building, you know, I mean just uh, five times a day I was just hammering it because I honestly believed if Elon Musk had gotten had succeeded in buying Twitter, that would have been the ball game. It yeah. literally would have been over. And if, when I say this, it sounds hysterical. Mm. It's not about, you know, his, how many dollars per share. You know, if you read in the mainstream media, it was like, oh, he has this many dollars per share and his Tesla stock is down and he's getting outside investors. Like, this is not a financial deal. Yeah. This is what shapes the reality, the mental reality of the deciders in our culture. Okay. I, I hate to make Twitter sound so important when it, in one sense it's so ridiculous, but if you can be convinced by a Tropicana ad, you can be convinced by Twitter or Facebook. Okay, and so the point is, is that if we let someone who is clearly a right-wing fanatic get control of Twitter, put Trump back on Twitter, which he threatened to do, giving him that megaphone, mm-hmm. um, and now and also stop the uh, the you know stop basically taking misinformation off of Twitter. You know, in the name of free speech, basically yeah. we were going to be inundated with toxic waste. Okay, we were going to be inundated with misinformation from the Republicans and Russia. Okay, in the in the interest of free speech, it's like yeah, in the interest of free speech, we put cyanide in the in the uh, you know in the drinking water. You know? <laughs> I mean, this is going to be poisoning the uh, mentally poisoning the culture. And so Biden made a huge mistake by being passive about this. Big mm-hmm. surprise. 
If I were Biden, I would have stopped that deal as a threat to national security. I would have gotten the SEC, the FEC, I would have every agency to wrap them up in so much red tape and evaluation and comment periods that it would have been 2032 before they could think <laughs> that deal. Because you can't give the Republicans Twitter. Are you insane? Are you crazy? That's the end. It's because I believe they're, once again, underestimating what the Republicans are willing to do, or, or rather, rather, what they envision for this country. Like you said, they were spreading not only misinformation about elections, but medical disinformation that that could lead right. that could lead to death. And it did. It did. Led to it, mil- did. it led to million deaths in America. And so, yeah. Talk about the power of disinformation. If you can convince people a pandemic that is killing millions of people, including people you know, is not real and an election that was not stolen, and there's no evidence that it was, that it was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what no can't you convince them of? What, what, if you can convince them of those two things, you know, I mean, I know people who had relatives die of COVID who didn't believe in it. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 I saw there was a man on his deathbed who said, if I die, it's my time. It's like, oh, you, you what do you, uh, they're, they're, it's so deep, the, the misinformation. And so that it's very hard to disseminate from the truth. And even to the point of people no longer even believing truth to be truth. But that's the emergency. And that's where our government is really failing us, frankly, because they should be regulating social media tightly. Okay, we should bring the also we should bring the Fairness Act back. There used to be an act called the Fairness Act, which meant that if you were a news station, there were standards of veracity that you had to meet. And there was a board that would actually evaluate them, mm. uh, including whether you were being fair to you know both sides of a political issue. And I don't know if you remember when they used to have like you know the contrary side would get a chance to give a you know a, a, a rebuttal. That came from the Fairness Act. Okay, they that, they let that expire. Okay, so that's why Fox News can say whatever they want. But when there was a Fairness Act, they couldn't. That's the kind of correction protection we need to be putting in place to protect the reality testing. Mm-hmm. of our nation in a nation that cannot see reality that is that can be brainwashed that cannot evaluate evidence cannot know the difference between truth and untruth that is a nation where democracy cannot survive and but and that by the way the republicans i believe are aware of this they they know what is fake and what yes. is true but they are using this so when someone like you a you know an expert psychologist says that we need to regulate social media they hear in their minds, well, there's the left trying to control our freedom of speech and take away our First Amendment rights. And so you'll we'll never it's like it, I, I believe there has to be some sort of there's almost like a good authoritarian needs to come in and just squash. Yeah, I mean, yeah right. Really it's like, right, right, right. Well, it's like it's like if you were with a bunch of kids and they were all beating each other up, you want an adult to come in the room and say, OK, guys, you know, knock it off. <laughs> uh, or if one kid is abusing another to, to punish that kid. Yeah. Uh, so the thing is, is that, you know, Republicans abuse power. Democrats fail to use it. OK, so wow, that's a great quote. <laughs> so, 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 right. We don't have the votes right now to pass uh, a law regulating social media, right, because no. of the, the filibuster. Okay, so if we win the Senate, maybe we can. But we do control the executive branch. Yeah. What about some executive orders that would hit at these misinformation, uh, uh, you know, kind of things? In other words, use whatever power you have. You know, this is a bar fight. Pick up a bottle. If that's the only thing you got, pick it up. I know. And swing it. Even I'll say the executive orders, actually, the one the one problem with the executive orders is 
the Supreme Court has something called the power of judicial review, where they can sure. take any executive order and deem it unconstitutional and, and yeah, enforce. Make them do it. Make, make them, them do it. Oh, make them do it. Make them do it. Pass right. the executive order and then make them knock it down. See, and then the Democrats, well, we can't make that executive order because the Supreme Court will knock it down. It's like, you know, you're thinking too many moves ahead. <laughs> in the sense, you're not thinking too many moves ahead. Take a strong position, right? Yeah. Show the people that you're taking a strong position for things that they believe in. Okay? Right. And that you're ready to fight for them. And if you lose the fight, okay, but they know which side you're on. Yeah. And, they, you know, these, these people, they need to be spanked back into reality. There's no, there's no easy, yeah. there's no partisanship here. This is, you got to just be bulldoze it. So I guess, I guess that'll just tie me back into, you know, if you, if you say we come from th this sort of aggression <laughs> is innate within us, or perhaps yeah. in some of us is the only, the only solution to all of this is, at the ballot box because we don't resort to violence but the, the only solution to all this deprogramming and this psychological warfare is just outnumber them through votes which to me is scary but it's the only way to do it no you're absolutely right i mean but it is really do or die because it isn't like you know better luck next year <laughs> it's more like one strike and you're out okay uh which really isn't fair OK, but yeah. once they get control, I mean, it's very frightening that now this new group of Republicans who don't have the charisma, as you say, but right. they're following the playbook and they're working together. OK, and the point is these election deniers who are running for governor and secretary of state in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, all the swing states all in them. all of the swing states. OK, people whose basically their platform is. I will never let a Republican lose an election again. Vote for me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just lies. Well, I mean, and, and it was like the guy who's running for secretary of state in Arizona. I'm blocking his name now. He's a former Oath Keeper. Blake was, Masters. Is that right? Well, Blake Masters is the one running for Senate. But um, oh, one running for but secretary of state is the guy who actually controls the elections. That's right. right. That's his job. And I'm, I'm sorry I'm blocking his name, but he was a I former understand. Oath Keeper. Uh, <laughs> And he was on, on the, at the Capitol in 1-6. And before the election, he said, I will never concede. You know, we will not accept losing this election. So he announced in advance that, that, that if he loses, he will fight it, okay, even before the, the votes were cast. These are the kind of people that want to control the elections. If this guy gets control of the elections in Arizona, done, it's over. We never win there. We'll again. never have another chance. You'll never get a second <laughs> chance to vote. Right. Well, that is that paints a, a grim picture, but it's it's the reality too, and we need to, we need to face it head on. We need to face it head on. Absolutely, we need to know the duty to warn is warn people so they know what the risk is, so they can take protective action. And unfortunately, we almost need to have a straight, you know, an inside straight because we can't lose any of these states. We can't let election denier get any swing state under no. their control. If they even win one of the four, we're screwed. We are. Now, let me we'll just on your the duty to warn because that's your that's your big account. That's the yeah. That's, that's how yeah. I you know that's how I discovered you too. Um, so the duty to warn applies to you have a. Well, why don't you explain it? You, you have a duty to warn. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it here because sure. I think that was well, the the term actually began with a, a case in 1975 where someone told their psychologist he was like planning on killing his girlfriend or thinking about killing his girlfriend. And the psychologist said nothing because of confidentiality. He went and killed his girlfriend. Uh, they sued him. That was the Tarasov case. That, um, and therefore, it became not only in our ethics, but actually in the law. 
in every in all 50 states, we have a duty to warn a potential victim of violence. If we become aware of it, a patient confesses to us that they're thinking of hurting someone, confidentiality literally, which is really one of our highest ethical values, kind of thing, absolutely goes out the window. Forget about it, right? Call them right now and warn them, you know, call protective services if you think a child is being abused or even suspect that they might be abused. So this protective function, this duty to warn is really takes primacy over all other ethical um, uh, demands in our field. Mm -hmm. Um, And my logic is if I have a duty to warn one potential victim, what about 300 million potential victims? Don't I have a duty to warn them? Because no, it wasn't something Donald Trump confessed to me in a therapy session, but it's because I'm a psychologist and I realized this is the exact configuration of evil. This is malignant narcissism. Yeah. This is what Eric Frome was talking about. This is a, this is a Hitler-like figure. Um, you know, you, you got to become the psychiatric Paul Revere, right? <laughs> yeah, you got to squat, you got to tell people. And I think one of the most disturbing elements about all this is not that the Donald Trump exists or the Carrie Lakes or the, you know, the Josh Hollies, yes. but it's the fact that there's such a massive body of regular Americans who are for it. They are pro-insurrection. They are pro-authoritarianism. They are pro-Russia. They are now pro-Saudi Arabia. They are they are yeah. just they are just going along for the ride. And and to me, there's no stopping them. <laughs> they're their psychology, they've completely surrendered all of their their true yeah. self. Yeah. Which which is uh, you know, it's a little bit like the zombie apocalypse. It is um, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you know, actually I, I said this in the movie, uh, and I felt a little like maybe I'm sort of going off a little bit uh, too too far. And then I read that actually Romero, who made Night of the Living Dead, meant it as a metaphor for societies that go insane (laughs) when they're infected by a, you know, a a crazy idea, you know, a race, you know, like a Hitler idea or a MAGA idea, and and, and then suddenly become rabid animals and turn on their uh, on their neighbors and on their on on their family. That that was meant to be a metaphor for exactly what we're experiencing. So, yeah, you know, Forget the zombies. You know, we're not going to get the zombie vote. <laughs> <laughs> They're done. We just got to hope there's there's more living people than zombies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we got to take control from the zombies <laughs> and survive. Uh, yes. Oh, John. Well, I think I, I've had enough uh, doom and, and, and fear for yeah. today. <laughs> no, but I appreciate you coming on and letting all of us know about, about you know, getting, a, I guess, a peel inside the mind of, of the the Trumpism as a disease and perhaps there's a way out. Uh, But it's, there's only one way out guys. And you know what that is? It's getting out and vote. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Oh, thank you. Well, thanks for having me on. It was good talking to you. Sorry. I put you in a bad mood. Oh, (laughs) I do that to people. I'm joking. I'm just joking. People always say I'm more scared and and, and frightened now than I was before I started interviewing you. That's that's sort of like my job. Psychologists usually make people less anxious. You see, in this this case, in a a post-Trump world, everything is upside down. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) All right, John, thank you very much. You're welcome. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and please give it a five star rating and a review if you enjoyed it. It really helps me a lot and helps get the message out to as many people as possible. And as always, I will continue to uncover the truth.